Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is chairman of the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor and Pension. On Tuesday, he announced his committee would launch an investigation into workplace safety at Amazon, where he warned Jeff Bezos might be forced to testify. If you remember back in March, Bernie launched an investigation into Starbucks accusing it of waging the biggest anti-union campaign in American history. Are you still buying burnt coffee at Starbucks? He ordered the outgoing CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, to testify. Schultz balked, but Bernie said, don't make me subpoena you. And Schultz came in for his scolding. The Washington Post got its hands on Bernie's letter to Amazon accusing Amazon of being one of the most dangerous workplaces in America. Amazon is the second largest employee in our country. Bernie said the e-commerce giant has twice the number of serious workplace injuries than the national average. The Guardian reports this morning that Amazon spent more than $14 million last year on union-busting consultants who corner employees and then intimidate them into voting down a union contract. Most importantly, although a Staten Island warehouse more than a year ago voted to go union under the leadership of Christian Smalls and the Amazon Labor Union, Amazon remains in direct violation of American labor law and refuses to sit down and negotiate a contract. The Miami Herald is reporting this morning that climate scientists say that because the Atlantic Ocean is heating up earlier this year, they are now anticipating a horrific hurricane season. Hurricanes intensify when ocean temperatures rise and right now, scientists are saying the ocean, quote, is on fire. On average, the Atlantic Ocean is running two degrees Celsius higher than normal. Than normally, the Atlantic Ocean is running two degrees Celsius higher than normal. They do say, however, because of the El Nino effect in the Pacific, it might not be as severe a hurricane season as this heat suggests. Let's hope. 300,000 people living in the South were without power on Monday after storms knocked out the electrical grid. Meanwhile, Texas is sweltering under triple-digit temperatures. Power outages in Mississippi left residents of the state capital without air conditioning for more than 100 hours. Back in Texas, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, that is the utility which provides power to most of Texas, it is now asking residents to cut back on their electricity consumption. By the way, ExxonMobil is headquartered in Texas. Sarah Huckabee, the governor of Arkansas, has declared a state of emergency as record heat and storms shut off power in her state. And just, just when you thought Texas Governor Greg Abbott couldn't be more satanic, 
He signed into law House Bill 2127 that, and I wish I were making this up, House Bill 2127 eliminates local ordinances that provide construction workers with mandated water breaks, triple-digit temperatures in Texas, and Greg Abbott has just signed into law a bill that eliminates local ordinances providing construction workers with mandated water breaks. Dallas and Austin in the past couple of years mandated that construction workers be given 10-minute water breaks every four hours to get out of the sun and hydrate. But Governor Greg Abbott just signed a law eliminating those mandates. The federal government estimates that in the past 10 years, conservatively speaking, 42 construction workers in Texas died from heat stroke. But proponents of the water break ordinances say that is much higher. Six out of every 10 construction workers in Texas are Latino. And last year was Texas's hottest year on record. You know, I love these states' rights guys like Greg Abbott. You know, we can do it better without any interference from the federal government. And then when Austin and Texas think, you know, maybe we should give water breaks to our construction workers, suddenly Mr. State's Rights believes that the state should supersede the local municipalities. Height of hypocrisy. And... uh Unbelievable that you wouldn't allow construction workers a 10-minute break every four hours to get out of the shade and drink water while your state is sweltering under triple-digit heat. A new study shows gas stoves are more dangerous than secondhand smoke and the amount of benzene released into the home can result in higher risks for certain types of blood cancers like leukemia. The new study says one burner, just one burner, can emit enough benzene to linger in your house or apartment for hours, making it more toxic than secondhand cigarette smoke. But Republicans say keeping gas stoves is all about freedom. Candace Owens is a conservative African-American commentator who makes a lot of money on the lecture circuit. She works with uh, Daily Wire. Is it Ben Shapiro, that that troll Ben Shapiro, the ultra-conservative? And she makes a lot of money telling rich white people that there is no such thing as racism. A lot of money to be made if you're black and willing to assure fragile white egos that there's no such thing as racism. If you remember, Candace Owens was the one who showed up to a Paris fashion show with Kanye wearing an All Lives Matter T-shirt. She has said in the past that white supremacy is not an issue. This is an African-American woman saying this. She says COVID-19 is a scam. She insists Black Lives Matter and the NAACP, the NAACP cannot be trusted. How do you get to that point? How do you get there if you're an African-American woman? Well, this week she put out a tweet that people should see. Because I always wonder about African-Americans 
who go to work for the Republicans. Is it money? What What is this about? This is her tweet. She writes, I'm not kidding when I say that over 90% of my podcast content criticizes white people in politics and culture. Here's, here's where she just goes off the deep end. She writes, but because black people are soft, emotional, and have had their brains rotted by BLM, in the rare circumstances that I cover a black topic, they cry like bitches. This is a black woman saying that black people have had their brains rotted out by Black Lives Matter, and they cry like bitches. This is what it takes if, if you're African-American and you want to make money telling fragile white people that the problem is black people, not you. This is what you have to believe. I think she believes this. She goes on to write, last week, uh, last week on my podcast, I covered Lance Bass, Megan Fox, Vivek Ramaswamy, Dave Rubin, Prince Harry, Conor McGregor, and Andrew Tate. But June right? And then she writes, generally speaking, black people today are emotional, silly putty and cannot take any criticism without crying racism. This is an African-American woman who's making her money working for racists. And she tweets out, generally speaking, black people today are emotional, silly putty and cannot take any criticism without crying racism. I don't know if it's solely about making money. I think she's got other issues going on. Very sick. It's very sick. I'd say sad, but she's dangerous and stupid. The United States Coast Guard says there is still no trace of that submersible vehicle that dove 13,000 feet below the North Atlantic Ocean for a tour of the wreckage from the Titanic. Five people are on board this vehicle, which is roughly the size of a van. Right now it's underneath choppy water, 600 miles off the coast of Boston. There's enough oxygen to last only a few more hours for the pilot and the four passengers who paid $250,000 each for the ride. The Royal Canadian Air Force is helping in the search, despite being hampered by thick fog. $250,000 each to, to rubberneck. $250,000 to look at the Titanic. Seems there are more important things you can do with $250,000. This is a form of tourism. Is this... Tourism? Is this exploration or just tragedy porn? $250,000 is a lot of money to pay to see wreckage. If lifeless ruins is what you're after, you can cruise the streets of Los Angeles and look at all the homeless people for free. $250,000 each. $250,000 is a home. It is a home. You can look at video. James Cameron already went down there for National Geographic. You can look at the video of the Titanic. Tim Moore is a conservative Republican. He's the Speaker of the North Carolina House of Representatives. 
He's responsible for the bathroom bill back in 2016 that barred transgender people from using restrooms based on how they identify. He's also opposed to same-sex marriage. Well, he's getting a divorce. And the divorce is turning out to be almost as ugly as he is. The husband of the woman, Tim Moore, allegedly carried on his extramarital affair with. The husband of his mistress is now suing Speaker Tim Moore, accusing him of ruining his marriage. And my favorite part, forcing this guy's wife to engage in humiliating sexual acts to satisfy his craven needs. A tale as old as time, isn't it? As Matthew says, judge not lest ye be judged. In England, Mohammed Nizam, the conservative party's mayor of Kylie, I think it's pronounced Kylie, in West Yorkshire, has resigned after he had to apologize for posting a pro-Pride Month photograph on his Facebook page. The conservative Tory mayor was photographed helping raise a gay pride flag, and afterwards he called it a lapse of judgment. He said the celebration of Gay Pride Month, quote, contradicts my personal religious beliefs. Then adding, I want to emphasize that I have also personally repented for this era and reflected deeply on the consequences of my actions. That would be the mayor or the ex-mayor of Kylie in West Yorkshire, Mohammed Nazam, soon to be arrested in a public bathroom near you. Donald Trump's federal trial for mishandling classified material will start on August 14th. This is kind of surprising. This is the, the ruling on Tuesday from Judge Eileen Cannon, who is presiding over the case. Although both prosecutors and Trump's attorneys are expected to petition for delays, Judge Cannon signals she wants the case settled by the end of the year. Something of a surprise, considering trials of this magnitude often take more than a year just after the arraignment. So this is very surprising. Then again, she's completely inexperienced and probably has no idea what both the prosecutors and Trump's lawyers need to uh, go to trial. Trump is charged with hiding 31 classified defense documents from the government in violation of the Espionage Act. Republican Congressman Mike Turner, who chairs the House Intelligence Committee, has reportedly told Donald Trump to stop talking, stop talking, stop talking about the upcoming trial for mishandling classified documents. Congressman Turner says Trump's behavior cannot be defended until it looks like Trump is going to be the nominee. Then all of a sudden, these people will get in line. But right now. They're wringing their hands over the mishandling of these classified documents. But Trump definitely complicated his legal case during an interview with Brett Baer on Fox News Monday night. I played, <coughs> excuse me, I played clips from it yesterday. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to play you some more because it's really damnable. 
uh, he admits to not turning over these documents because he didn't feel he was ready to. Uh, if they play this in court and he hasn't contaminated the jury pool, he should be going to prison. I mean, this is really incriminating. Now, here is Donald Trump on Fox News Monday night incriminating himself, saying he was ready to turn over the documents. But then the FBI, quote unquote, raided. It wasn't a raid. There was a search warrant. They, they knew the FBI was coming. He says once the FBI raided his Mar-a-Lago estate, he said, I'm not going to cooperate. Here he is. But I wouldn't have kept. But they raided my house. They came in and raided. We were discussing, having very good discussions with NARA, a radical left group, by the way. And all of a sudden, my house got raided. OK, so NARA is the National Archives and Records Administration, and they are the ones responsible for archiving classified material and collecting it and make sure it doesn't fall in the right hands. Right. They were. And he calls them a radical left organization. He's not going to testify. His lawyers will not allow him to testify. But this is probably admissible in court depending on what Eileen Cannon rules. He says, uh, we were having good talks about how I was going to hand over these documents. No, you weren't. You're lying. You're an effing liar. There was a subpoena. Turn them over. And he didn't want to for whatever reason. So here's the former president. He's saying his home was raided. It wasn't. The FBI had a search warrant. The attorneys, Trump, were all alerted. Trump's lawyers were notified that a search was going to take place. And in the indictment, he is accused of ordering his staffers in anticipation of the FBI carrying out the search. He orders st staffers to move the boxes so the FBI wouldn't find them. He told his lawyers, according to the indictment, to pluck out things from other files that might be incriminating. Here is Donald Trump incriminating himself once again. And they said they went to DOJ to subpoena you to get them Which back. they've never done before. Right. Okay, so that's Brett Baer pointing out that you were subpoenaed. Now, when you're subpoenaed, NARA... The National Archives and Record Administration went to the Department of Justice and said, we can't get these documents. We've been talking to him for more than a year. He won't give them to us. You got to go in. You got to subpoena him. And if he won't turn them over, we got to get a search warrant to, turn, to get the documents. He wouldn't turn them over. Right. This is why the Department of Justice ordered the FBI to get a warrant from a judge and search Mar-a-Lago. Now, in the interview, he is saying it's unfair that he was subpoenaed. Here he is explaining why he wanted to hold on to the documents. He's asked, you're subpoenaed, so why not obey the subpoena? You know, like every other American citizen has to. And in so all why not just hand them over then? Because I had boxes. I want to go through the boxes and get all my personal things out. I don't want to hand that over to Nara yet. And I was very busy, as you've sort of seen. Yeah. Playing golf. Very busy. This is really bad. 
Okay? This is him just lying like a four-year-old. NARA wants the classified documents. He is stuffing classified documents, according to the indictment, in boxes with his other memorabilia. And now he says it's unfair that the FBI is going to go searching through his private boxes to find the documents. This will never hold up in court. You were asked for the documents. You didn't turn them over. You're no longer entitled to your privacy. So the FBI is going to search your premises. If you don't want your premises searched, turn over the classified documents. Go through your boxes. If you don't want the FBI going through your memorabilia in order to find the classified documents, obey the subpoena, go through the boxes yourself and find the classified documents. Otherwise, the FBI will. Okay, so Trump thinks the subpoena is unfair. And it's not a raid. It's a search warrant that he knew about. And here's where it gets even worse. Yeah, but according to the indictment, you then tell this aide to move to other locations after telling your lawyers to say you'd fully complied with the subpoena when you hadn't. Okay, I just want to make sure everybody understands this. His lawyers were told either turn over the classified documents or we're coming. We have a warrant. We're going to search. And he he thinks it's unfair that they searched Mar-a-Lago, that there was a subpoena. Here we go. But before I send boxes over, I have to take all of my things out. These boxes were interspersed with all sorts of things. Uh, golf shirts, clothing, pants, shoes. There were many things. A lot of respect for those classified documents, stuffing them into boxes interspersed with golf shoes, shirts. Whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that classified documents are being mishandled, thrown in with golf shirts? Whose fault is that? In Donald Trump's mind, it's the FBI's fault that they're not giving him several years to get around to going through his boxes and finding the classified documents before somebody from uh, Russia or China gets their hands on it. Okay, this is just really bad. This is just really bad. Okay, uh, why didn't you turn the documents over during or before the raid? Why did you order the boxes moved and why did you instruct your attorneys to say you complied when, in fact, you didn't? It's just not going to hold up in court. It's like you're dealing with a four-year-old, probably because you are. It's the mind of a four-year-old. I, I mishandled classified documents. I didn't mishandle them. I put them in a box with golf pants, golf shoes, and I'm not going to let the FBI search those boxes until I find the time to, to remove the classified material. He's taking his sweet time. I'll turn these documents over when I feel like it. This is really, really bad. It's really bad. 
he is something happened when he was four years old. He just learned to just lie his way out of everything with no consequences. Hunter Biden pleaded guilty on Tuesday to income tax evasion for the years 2017 and 2018. It was on income of more than $1.5 million. Hunter Biden has since paid back what he owed the government. Biden has also offered to cooperate with federal prosecutors, saying he will not contest charges that he lied about his drug use while filling out paperwork to purchase a gun back in 2018. Biden admits to being a crack addict when he was filling out the application for a gun and he left out the part where you're supposed to say, uh, I'm a crack addict. May I have a gun, please? Uh, he only owned the gun for two weeks until his then girlfriend got rid of it. Federal prosecutors say this is not the end of their investigation into the business dealings of the president's son. And Congressman James Comer from Kentucky, he's chairman of the Oversight and Accountability Committee. He accused the Biden Justice Department of going easy on Hunter Biden and vowed that he would continue to look into Hunter Biden's business dealings. Brian Kylie is an Emmy Award winning comedy writer. You've seen him on Letterman countless times. He wrote for Conan, I think, for 23 years. 27. 27 years you wrote for Conan. Seriously? Yep. yep. 27 years you wrote for Conan. Is that a record? Uh, well, it's a record for, for the Conan show. Has anybody you... worked for a television show 27 years straight? Uh, it's possible that Johnny Carson might have had some. I, I, I don't think so. Really? Yeah. Um, um, I think there was some um, writers for the Guided Light for 50 or 60 years. No. Um, Are, have I you been know. notified by the Writers Guild and told, like, this is an, an incredible run that you've had? I don't think uh, there's, I may, you know, uh, maybe Steve Young over at Letterman. That's possible, yep. Oh, you know, yeah, I, I, don't I know bet Steve I, Young, yeah. I think Steve Young at Letterman might have, because he was with Letterman okay. when it was on NBC, and then he made the switch to CBS with him. So, but that's incredible. So, what is the secret to longevity? Um, I think, I, you know, I think barricading yourself in the office is a good idea. Um, I think, I think fear, I think, um, uh, being someone who doesn't like change, I think, um, you know, having kids that constantly need food and shelter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many times, how many times, like now looking yep. back, cause the show, you're no longer, the show is no longer on, but 27 years, 
looking back, you were never going to get fired. But how many times did you genuinely come home and think you were going to get fired? Um, I guess not too many. I mean, I don't know where it got to the point where I thought I was going to be fired. I, I did have, you know, you'd have a slump once in a while or something, but, um, yeah, I guess I didn't really feel that way. I, I did, um, you know, there were some missteps and things, but, um, 27 years. That's really, incre- that's something to be, that's, that's, that's amazing. That that is truly well, amazing. What an accomplishment. You know, and it's a great show. And you were dealing with the greatest comedy minds of our generation. Conan, very demanding of his writers. He only surrounds himself with great writers. So the competition made you better. Well, I guess I didn't view it as competition most of the time. I think, I do think that... I, you know, Conan and is so hilarious, and so is Andy, and the other writers are so funny. I think that the fact that I would go to work every day and, you know, laugh my ass off. I mean, granted, yes, there were stressful times and there were things like that, but I really did laugh a lot every day, and I think, um, I think that helped me. I, I, I would have liked to sort of jump to a sitcom or something because I do like sitcoms, but I was so afraid I'd go to a sitcom and it'd be canceled or whatever, you know? So, um, do you think it's, do you, do you think it's fair? I've, I, I kind of know the answer to this. You can hide at a sitcom and not have to produce. You can be good around a table. You can work on a sitcom and never open your laptop and write a word and if you got the right showrunner, you just have to be good in the meetings. But in variety, sketches and jokes, you have to show your work. Do you think that's a fair statement? Well, I, I don't know enough about sitcom writing. I do know that kind of thing. You know, sometimes like when you were in college and you'd have these group projects and there were some people in the group that weren't pulling their weight. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Me. Get an A. <laughs> but the group would get an A, and that person would get an A as well. And you think, well, that guy's a boob, you know. But That's where TV so- executives come from. <laughs> I wish I could have been that kind of guy who's just like rooting right. for the team, phoning it in. Yeah. And looking at catalogs while everybody else is staring at the script. Yes, I will say even even the whole time I was there, if I got the goose egg, if I went to work and got no jokes on, I, I felt bad coming home. Like I I never was like, oh, well, it was like, nope. <laughs> that feeling, I, I, I always uh, I, I, I always felt, you know, when that happened. Right. You know? but, but you're up against forget the other comedy writers you're up against hundreds of jokes. And of those hundreds of jokes, 10, 20 get into the show. But, right, right. But there, there are 50 equally qualified jokes that end up on the cutting room floor that, could, you know, they're, 
there's not there's very rarely a perfect joke. Is that true? Right. Is that true? Sometimes there is a perfect joke. Well, I will say this. I don't know. I would say once a week. So, so I would write 40 jokes a day. So I'm writing 200 jokes a week. And of those, I would say w- once a week did I write a joke that I really loved. You know, and hmm. I, I will say Conan almost always did that one, which made me feel good. Like right. I felt like we were a to go in that way. Right. You know? Right. That's very you know? satisfying when you write something and you know it's funny, the boss knows it's funny, and then it dies in front of the audience. That to me is like the greatest <laughs> gift is we all know it's funny except the audience. So we get to feel like we're in on the joke and they're not, and then I get fired. That's always my goal. <laughs> well, there were those times where, you know, sometimes if I wrote a sketch or something, which was so hard to get on, and then it, it did well in the room, Conan liked it, and you think, oh, my God, I've, 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 I've jumped over these two high hurdles. And then when it didn't do well, if it didn't do well for the audience, it's like, don't you understand how hard it was to get to this, this point? Right. You know? Now, I have a bone to pick with you. Sure. I think I pitched this idea three times. Conan uh, reenacts the Battle of Brooklyn in Brooklyn during the revolution, like he dresses up like a revolutionary soldier, George Washington, and you you retrace Washington's retreat, mm-hmm. you know, to, to New Jersey, and but you just do it on people's, wherever people live, it's accurate. You knock on people's doors and ask, sure. can I walk through here? I, I pitched that three times to you, and you never even pitched it. I don't, I don't remember you pitching this to me. Maybe I dreamt it. Um, I guess it's too late now. I mean, that would kill in Brandywine. Yeah. <laughs> but Brandywine, why is that? Fa- is that where Benedict Arnold? Was that Benedict Arnold's battle? Uh, no, no, but it was a famous, it was a famous defeat of the Revolutionary Army in, in the, uh, of, the Amer- of the Americans took a, took a bad defeat in that one. Now you are... Probably the greatest writer and reader I know. Nobody reads. There are great writers who aren't great readers. There are great (laughs) readers who aren't great writers. But rarely does we have a great reader and a great writer. And that's important. You, 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 like, take slabs of books and finish them. I'm very anal. Yes. You know what? I, I should have, I was a terrible reader as a kid and it wasn't really until junior or senior year of college that I was like, Oh, you actually learn things. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, so. But you read these gigantic books on history. I do. Yeah. And books are too long. But, you know, it's funny. I do. I do think it actually I do have terrible insomnia. So me, too. I, I have terrible insomnia. I, I'm out like a light every night. That's terrible <laughs> insomnia. Is that a joke? Yes. A Can you try one. it tonight? 
Um, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm doing this whole Brandywine battle, reenacting the battles of, no. Um, uh, I don't you have like terrible insomnia, so you so wake I up. I don't wake up in the middle of the night and grab a history book, and, uh, and that puts me out. But uh, Hamilton. Yes. Who, who's the guy who wrote Hamilton? Chernow wrote the book, but who's the, the uh, what's his name? Um, um, Lin-Manuel, um, Lin-Manuel. Lin-Manuel Miranda. If you show, shot him up with sodium pentothal, uh-huh. how much of the book Hamilton do you think he actually read? Well, uh, that's, that seemed very, I, I would think that seemed very well researched to me of, 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 of all the hip hop songs I've seen, that was the most researched in terms of American history. I thought. <laughs> did you did you see Hamilton on Broadway? I did. I did. You I know, Ethan Hirschenfeld walked out on it. Why? I don't know. You know, I have to say though, I give him credit. Can you imagine uh, if if, some, if someone said to me ten years ago, whatever, twelve years ago, I'm writing a hip-hop version of a biography of Alexander Hamilton, wouldn't you just think, cuckoo, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I thought it was fantastic. And I, and I just give him credit for for the whole thing. Yeah. For the whole vision and whatever. It's amazing. But the success rubs me the wrong way. Well, there's that. Yes, yeah. I get I, I, I find that a personal affront. <laughs> How many hours do you read a day? And what are you um, reading right now? I am. I just started a book about. It's about the English Civil War, and then it's going to go into the American Revolution, and then then the U.S. Civil War. It's called like the Cousins War or something like that. So I, I read probably I, maybe an hour and a half to two hours a day. I are guess. you a fast reader or a slow reader? I've actually gotten faster over the years, but it depends. Like, I, you know, people think I will actually read novels too. Like, if I read like a giant history book, then I'll cleanse the palate with a novel or something. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, and what what is this feeling that you have to finish these books? I think it's. I think as a kid, I was so lazy. I remember reading Jaws. And I had 50 pages to go in Jaws when I was, you know, 13 or something. And I was like, yeah, and I didn't bother finishing. Like, I, I, bench, I, I had, I remember reading Jaws and thinking, forcing myself to finish it. And my mind kept wandering. I have a vivid recollection of going, this is, uh, this is boring. I can't even keep track of who the characters are anymore. I hope, just wish the shark would eat everybody and this would end. <laughs> but I do remember that being like, yeah, like a waste of my time. I guess I just feel like, you know, because I was such a bad reader for many years, I, and I think I'm, I think I'm kind of anal, um, anyway. So that it's so rare that I don't finish a book. It, and the book has to be incredibly terrible for me to go. Okay, I'm out. Now you're about to go do a stand-up show. I am. Yep. And are there any jokes you're going to try? tonight that you haven't tried before yes i have two jokes i'm gonna try okay can we can we uh, you want a sneak peek i'd like to get inside your head 
it peel so back the curtain and maybe undermine your confidence in these jokes. <laughs> this is a joke I tweeted today. So here's the thing. Twitter can be tricky because Twitter gives you a false sense sometimes. Um, but I have a joke about. Isn't Twitter uh, bad for. They don't appreciate like jokes that you. Well, anyway, go ahead. All right. So here's the joke I tweeted today. Um, the last time I ate at a French restaurant, I sent the snails back. It took forever. That's a great joke. Thanks. That's a perfect <laughs> joke. Thanks. I love some that. Jokes are, some jokes are better written, so I don't always know. I, the, I had a joke. I'm just thinking here. Have you tried it on stage yet? I have not. I wrote it today. I mean, another way of doing it, just so I can get my fingerprints all over it. Sure. And maybe alpha dog you <laughs> and be an exec. Is it just uh, I ordered snails? It took forever. Do you have to send them back? I, I just hope I'm undermining your confidence in the joke. Do you feel less than right now? Um, could you, if you could start crying, I would feel like a man. <laughs> What's the other joke? What's the other joke? The other joke was. Let me try it uh, another way. This this new joke, the, this one, I don't yes. like it. You don't even have to tell me. And I, I, I <laughs> what is it? Um, so after. After my dentist appointment today, my dentist said to me, see you in six months. And I laughed because I don't think he'll be out of prison by then. No? Yeah, well, you're leaving something out. All right. So, uh, see you in six months. So, did, did you, did he commit a crime while, I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking around here. Yes. He committed. No, 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 I, I, um, Are you go so you, you're is the joke that you were in the dentist's office and he committed a crime? Uh, I guess I just go to a bad dentist. Maybe I don't know. Oh. Um, yeah, you're right. All right, I'll just do the snails one. How about this? My dentist said, "See in six months," and I laughed. Jokes on him. I'm terminally ill. <laughs> People will laugh if you say you're sure. Sure. <laughs> jokes on him. He doesn't know. He just gives some horrible disease that bums the, <laughs> bums the crowd out. Are there diseases that you couldn't mention on stage? Like, did you notice, like, when we first started doing comedy, AIDS? Like, yes, you, you just even if you said a the place, everybody's. Butt cheeks. Yes. Now people are making jokes about AIDS. Really? Uh, yes. At least the club, <laughs> at least the clubs I play, you play classy places. Uh, the word cancer was like, can't say cancer. I hear cancer like because people aren't as afraid of it now, right? Well, it's funny because... I've seen this many times. I've seen a comic get cancer 
and go and talk about it on stage because it's what they're going through. And I've never seen it work. I've always seen, <laughs> I've always seen it bum everybody out. And, and time and time again. So walk up to her. Does it have to be cancer? Make it Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> um, yes, I think um, I can get away with my hunk about typhoid. Right. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't. The vapors. Um, yeah. Well, the vapors yeah. is that scares me. Yeah, I don't even. But know I'm the from vapors. the south, so. <laughs> and I'm a delicate. Um, I guess. I, yeah, I. I you know what um, I miss? You would give me setups to jokes. Uh-huh. I would say, what's what's the best joke you wrote this week? And I would try to guess the punchline, but I wouldn't guess the actual wording of the punchline. I would guess uh, the entry point into the joke. Right. 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 I would go, OK, is, is it a joke about Chris Christie being fat or a loud mouth? You know, and you'd go, yes, it's because right. he's a loud mouth. OK, so he's a loud mouth. <laughs> There, there, there are breadcrumbs where you can try to figure out uh, the joke. What is the best joke you've ever written? Oh my god! The one where you like I, I like there, there, there was a joke that I wrote uh, where I thought I've, I've, I've arrived. And what joke was that? The, uh, that Jerry Lewis was playing Broadway. He was in Damn Yankees, but that wasn't his first choice. He originally wanted to be in My Fair Lady. And at the time, <laughs> you know, and, and at the time Jerry was alive, it was in the 90s. So it worked. But, you know, when he turned 80, I would say uh, Jerry Lewis just had a birthday. He turned 80 and nothing. <laughs> And people pointed out to me, nobody remembers Lady. So it just. Uh, I, that's a good one. I like it. I like it. Um, Is there a joke you kept submitting that you that always got my, the joke that I submitted every year was the running of the bulls. The running of the bulls was so bloody. They're changing uh, Peplona's name to Tamplona. It was so, <laughs> oh my. Tampon. Oh <laughs> Every year, I submitted every, I submitted a Tamplona joke over. You, you submitted that joke every month, huh? You submitted that joke every every month. month the running of the bulls <laughs> of Tamplona. Is there a joke that you submitted every year that Conan rejected? No, there was a sketch idea that I had that he liked that we never ended up doing. But because you know there was all these there's all these shows that American shows that originally started. Like, like it was originally a British show. Right. So I pitched that Conan was originally a British show. That's funny. That he's the American knockoff. Uh-huh. And he liked that idea, and it would be him playing a British guy, you know, right. whatever. And I think we pitched it. And then I think also when, once COVID hit, then it was very hard to get, get, you know, logistically getting sketches done and whatever. So... We ended up not doing it, but it made me sad because uh, yeah. uh, I thought he could have been really funny. COVID, doing- COVID didn't make you sad, though. No, no. COVID was great. Yeah. Are you kidding? It was, it was, uh, so how many minutes are you doing tonight? I'm just doing 20. 
You're going to do 20. Who's on the bill? Uh, there's a gentleman named Tom Clark from Wisconsin who lives out here. Uh, and his wife, Steph Clark, is opening. And do you think that uh, a husband and wife should be on the same bill? Uh, well, that's why I'm in the middle. They kind of keep them separate. You yeah. Know? Um, you yes, think it's a good I, idea I, for you think it's a good idea for. I, I, I'm curious how that would work, because uh, is she opening all, for him? Yes. Yes. OK. And, and what all, about what about the bill? Who's going on first? Uh, she's going to open. No, no, I, 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 that you already told me that she's going to open yeah. for him, but I'm talking about the show. Oh, <laughs> let me let me explain what I <laughs> here's the thing. I think um, I, I think it would be a problem where you and your wife are talking about something funny comes up and then it's like, whose joke is it? Kind of thing. right. Do you know. What I mean? Yeah. Or like yeah. How, like who or who's I, I want to do a bit about how bad you are in bed. <laughs> but then also you get divorced and then she gets half your Chris Christie joke. Like I <laughs> hey, so joking about Chris Christie's weight. Yes. When did when when did that become verboten? Uh, July 9th, 2013. No, um, it the last few. And, and that really uh, that broke my heart because, you know, I, I loved a good Chris Christie joke yeah. personally. Yeah, I'm a terrible person, but and and uh, should and should they be coming back? Well, I don't know that they will come back, but um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I, <laughs> I'm on the wrong side of history on this one. I have a theory as to why Donald Trump became president. Karma. I, this is, I honestly believe this is what happened. Caitlyn Jenner did the transitioning. Yeah. And the, the comedy writing gods said no jokes, no jokes about Caitlyn Jenner. Do you remember this? Yeah, sure. You were not allowed to make any. And it, it was like just a low hanging fruit. This was going to be, you, you know, you could put your kids through college on Caitlyn Jenner jokes, but you couldn't do it. Couldn't do yep. it. And everybody showed restraint and the comedy gods rewarded us with Donald Trump. Had, the point I'm making is, had we made fun of Caitlyn Jenner, who turned out to be a self-serving asshole, like right, right wing right. and yep. anti-trans, had we made fun of her, the comedy gods would not have made Donald Trump president. We could have spared our democracy by making fun of Caitlyn Jenner. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, yeah, it's, you know, you know, I don't want to tell you. I, um, All right, one more joke. Um, oh, what, what about the joke we came up with while I was walking with you about how I 
still I, I carried a torch for my girlfriend. <laughs> oh my You're not gonna pitch that one, are you? Why? What? <laughs> See, I, I, you know, I'm married, but I, I still carry a torch for my girlfriend, my old girlfriend. She's the Grand Wizard in the KKK. <laughs> Try I never, I would never do that. I and, would. You know, well, here's the thing. I know you would. Here's the thing about you. You'll you'll pitch a joke that you act like it's put. It's like socks in the dryer, and you know how you put the socks in the dryer and you don't. And no, like the punchline is like leukemia. <laughs> it's got a K oh sound. It's got a K. Leukemia has K I, in it. I, no. I, I know. I have a very dark, dark. I mean, what makes me laugh. Um, there's got to be a lot of pain and suffering for me to laugh. Sure. If, 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 if somebody is... You know, it's not good enough that somebody slips on a banana peel. Right. Their right. skull has to be crushed sure. open sure. and a dog has to walk over and start eating, yeah. like licking and the brains. There has to be some Ebola on the banana peel yeah. or something. Yeah. 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 Yes. I, I, <laughs> I want to I hear the jokes that you don't do. Uh, I can't imagine. I, there are. I have, you know, I found... Uh, I, uh, iCloud. I figured out how to use iCloud. So I found some old files that I had stored from like 10, 15 years ago of, uh, of jokes I was working on. There, was a, there were a lot of jokes about me in prison. I, there was a period where I was obsessed with uh, telling the audience I, I've been in prison, I just got out, and uh, a lot of... Uh, and kind of jokes you would expect. Right, right, right. You know. Well, I wonder if, like, Pavarotti is looking down from heaven going, wait a minute. All the jokes that we, that Conan and everyone made about me, that was okay. And then, right. and then change, and then, no, 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 you can't do this. Do you think <laughs> that Pavarotti made it to heaven? I think God had to bend his knees on that rapture. <laughs> Lift with your back. How do you pull that guy up? Yeah. Okay. He didn't. He didn't descend all the way up. <laughs> I can still see his feet. When I look up in the sky. When I look, when I look at the moon, Daddy. What? What are? What are those two doughy white, pendulous, stubby? Th those are Pavarotti's feet. They, they couldn't quite get all of them. That poor cloud. <laughs> that poor cloud. <laughs> Brian Kiley is a brilliant comedy writer and comedian. And he is entering his movies in a series of film festivals around the country. You'll have to come back and talk about your your short films that you've been okay. making and winning awards. And follow him on Twitter. Is it Noodles? It's, it's Kylie Noodles. Kylie Noodles, K-I-L-E-Y, noodles.com. And we didn't get to talk about one of your kids who is uh, living, living the dream. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, next time. Okay. Okay.